Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to a special Wednesday edition of District of Conservation. As promised, here is my interview with Travis Thompson of Cast and Blast, Florida. Here's a little bit on Travis's background. And I'm pulling this from the Cast and Blast biography section on their podcast website. Captain Travis Thompson is a fifth generation Floridian and full-time fishing and waterfall guide. Born in central Florida, Travis grew up fueled by a love of the outdoors, be it chasing snook or doves or turkeys or teal. In addition to the time he spends guiding folks after the snook or duck of a lifetime, he has been published in multiple magazines and is a frequent contributor to Outdoors 360, Huntfowl.com, The Pointing Dog Journal, and Gun and Hooks Outdoor Journal. When he's not chasing tarpon or wood ducks, Travis spends much of his time with his wife of six years, Emily Thompson, who is a co-host on the show, and his kids, Olivia and Will. Travis, thank you so much for coming on to District of Conservation. It's been nice that we've been able to cross-pollinate on each other's podcasts. No, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, bit long time, what is it? Long time listener, first time guest? Yes. <laughs> is that how we say it? I guess so. But Travis, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and describe your background? Sure. Um, stop me if I get long-winded, okay? No, but no. I am, Go ahead. I am Captain Travis Thompson, officially. I am a uh, fifth-generation Floridian. So my, my family has been in Florida and actually uh, – in where I live, Polk County, since 1890. They've been in Florida since 1870. So, um, grew up grew up in a in a family of uh, conservation. My dad was a uh, environmental engineer for the state, and so conservation was not something we played around with. Like like when you caught a fish or you, you shot a deer or something, you made sure it was 100% legal. There was no gray areas on that. So I grew up kind of in a real strict family as far as conservation was concerned. Um, and so grew up, uh, went, went to work in corporate America. I did IT for a long time. I was actually an IT executive. Hmm. So I, I got a lot of background in IT, marketing, data analysis, that kind of stuff. And uh, one thing just kind of led to another. And I've, I've always fished. I've always hunted. So uh, my, my passion was always to get out on the weekends and spend time in the woods or in the water. And I guess it's 2020 we're recording this. So I got my captain's license in 2005. So I have been guiding since then off and on. Now, I haven't been a full-time guide since then, but I've been guiding since then off and on. Um, and I've been – I've just been kind of kind of participating in the whole – outdoors conversation kind of you know rocking along and when, when my the last company I worked for was bought out I, I had in a couple of occasions sold a business or whatever and gone back into guiding full-time and the last company I worked for was bought out by a much bigger company and I was like you know what this is it so I talked with my wife and, and I started guiding full-time and so I do uh, I do full-time uh, saltwater fishing but I'm also probably best known because I'm the the only full-time waterfowl guide in the state of Florida. 
And I do that all on public lands only. So I'm, I'm a big public lands advocate. And the other thing that I that I do is, um, and that's kind of, I don't know if that's how we met Gabby, but I, I do a, a podcast called Cast and Blast Florida and, and, a, and a second show called Cast and Blast Conversations that goes with that, that, that Gabby's going to be on here in a few weeks. Um, and I, I started that because I was kind of tired of listening to podcasts and, and there was nothing out there that talked about the Florida conservation issues, the Florida fishing, Florida hunt. Like, like we're a really unique state down here. And, and I talk about that a lot and that, and I also like to have a good time and cut up. I like to, I like to have fun, like fishing and hunting and that kind of stuff should be fun. So that's me. I'm a, I'm a fishing and hunting guide and I'm a podcaster. That's what I do. Yeah, you, you do a lot and, and you stay busy. And what drew me to your podcast, and I think we have a lot of mutual friends from Florida because you call me an honorary Floridian because I'm one of the few nice people who's not native to Florida, who actually likes the state and doesn't tease you guys endlessly about right. Florida man, Florida woman. And I think, um, yeah, it's just so unique. It's a niche that is not really carved out. And why I brought you on is because, I mean, while I talk about what happens here in the region in the mid-Atlantic and then what happens from federal stuff, I think because we're all interconnected, the 50 states, it's important to have people from outside the region, those who don't necessarily work in federal government, come and talk about what's happening in their states because what happens in Florida certainly can impact people in Virginia or Pennsylvania or California and uh, I think it's really great that you have a focus on Florida, uh, especially since it is such a unique landscape. Uh, it's, it, obviously, it's known as one of the best fishing destinations in the country, if not the best fishing destination in the country. And uh, so, so using the talk more about the podcast and what you and your co-host focus on and why it's kind of garnered a lot of attention. What, what we try to do, our, our tagline when we started is serious outdoorsmen who don't take themselves too seriously. And my co-host, Nathan Henderson, um, he he owned an archery shop, a real large archery shop, him and his family. And so he does not, you could not get him to brag about this at all, but he's very, very good with technical, big game hunting, turkey hunting. Like he's just, he's a really humble guy. And I'm a little more brash and fun loving and like to pick on people. And we, we, we talked about this idea of creating a, a continuum for folks where we could make a podcast or build a podcast that was fun. It, it, the, 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 the central tenet kind of to our podcast is it's fun to listen to. Like we cut up a lot. We talk about snack foods. We talk about movies. We talk about – somebody once said, you guys don't have an outdoors podcast. You're outdoorsmen that have a podcast. <laughs> and it's, it's not far off. But we try to bury what I call the big idea in every podcast, which is this nugget of conservation or of a of a step people can take in the conservation continuum to kind of move them along. And then that was the reason we started the second show is for folks that wanted to go a little deeper. They could listen to some some other some other components, some other uh, deeper dives with scientists or agency folks or, you know, uh, I'll, I'll use ag as an example. Um you know, back back during our, our water crisis, which we're still in a water crisis, but there's a lot of demonization of agriculture in, in the conversation. And I've never heard anyone sit down and talk to a farmer. And so I was like, well, you know, there's some there's some stories out there that need to be chased that need to be explored. And I don't ever want to be wrong. I don't think anybody does. And the only way you can really get there is to talk to both sides of a conversation. 
And, and so that's that's something we've tried to do, but we've we've really tried to keep fun at the crux of it. And I'll say really quick, my, my wife is on the show. She's one of the co-hosts, mm-hmm. Emily, Emily. And she's a nut job, and she's really not in real life, but she she's so fun. But she asks the questions often from an uninformed perspective that she's genuinely curious about because she's not up on what's going on with with sea trout regulations, or she's not up with why we're changing the turkey season or not that we're doing that, but she's not up on that. So she'll ask the question sometimes that may be termed quote unquote, the stupid question, but it's not actually, it's the question a lot of people want answered. And so we, we've really, I feel like we've done a good job with that. You know, it's, I tell people all the time doing a podcast is like riding a tiger. There's no good way to get off of it. <laughs> Cause you're going to get bit. So, and you know that like you have to produce content every week and, and you don't want to just produce content to produce it. You want to produce content that, you feel adds a value and adds to a conversation and is enjoyable. And, and so that's kind of, that's kind of how we're at and where we're at in this, this whole conversation. Could you enlighten our listeners here about issues that are currently pressing in Florida? And I think uh, from a national perspective, everyone hears often about the Everglades situation and the way that you guys are trying to manage water quality down there. And uh, I like what you said about trying to talk to all different stakeholders because certainly a lot of people are blamed for certain situations. But could you kind of briefly go over the history of what's been at the heart of the situation with Everglades problem, red tide, uh, things that you think our listeners would be interested in and, and perhaps provide, providing a nuanced perspective at that? Because there's a lot of stuff that comes out. A lot of people sure. are blamed. Sure. And I think it's important for people who, who are outside of Florida to know how this could impact Everyone else, because there's a lot of algae issues. We have them here in the mid-Atlantic and the Chesapeake. I was told we had a, a historical problem with that, and algae can happen anywhere. Uh, that's what led to the red tide, and Travis will explain more. But just kind of talk about those two important Florida issues. And if you want to touch upon python uh, extermination efforts, too, I just kind of want you to give an overview as to what is happening in Florida and why people outside of Florida care. But, yeah, care to illuminate? Sure. Um, feel free to interrupt, but – I'll forget pythons at the end. Maybe come back to that. <laughs> yes. Um, pythons are all anyone ever wants to talk about, which is it's it's so funny. I I'm, I like it because it brings a focus on the state, but it's like <laughs> <laughs> they're they're like deeply entrenched in these swamps. It's, anyway, I'll come back to that. But um, the 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 Florida. I'm going to give you some opinions here, so don't take these as facts. Take them as opinions. Oh. But uh, I, I tell people all the time, I'm not a journalist. I'm an op-ed writer. The, uh, the, the, the problem Florida faces is everyone wants to live here, right? We don't have a state income tax. So it's a great state full of, uh, you know, beautiful wild places and Disney World and SeaWorld and Legoland. And like we got everything you could ever possibly want. And so that is actually, in, in my opinion, what's going to end up killing the state. Because we and I'm a capitalist, right? I'm a conservative. I want I want people to be able to do what they want with their land. I want people to have, be able to have growth and business growth. It's a really weird tension down here being in a, 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 a conservation guy in that space because what we're seeing now is so much growth has been handled to local government, which I've, I'm an advocate for. But in those cases, it's not being managed in a way that's sustainable for our resources. So we've got we've got a state. That is the 26th largest in landmass and the third largest in population. And everyone wants to funnel down into the coasts in the water. Like, like, 
if you went up in the in the panhandle of Florida, like the top of the state, there's nobody up there. But down here, it's packed. But we want people to keep coming. We want people to keep moving here. We want people to keep buying and selling and business to move here. And and all that comes at a tension that is um, our, our environment is kind of caught in the middle of. And so we live in this world now where hashtags are how we solve problems. And I say that su- I say that super tongue in cheek because I've never seen a single problem solved with a hashtag. And so we, we've got you, you mentioned Everglades, right? Everglades, Everglades restoration. I'm going to be close on this because I, I haven't looked at it lately. I think it's made up of 68 individual projects. And Gabby, we have a mutual friend. I don't know if you met in real life, Mike Elfenbein. Mm-hmm. I haven't uh, met him I, yet, I but know, we just got connected. Yeah, I, I know you guys have been messaging. Mike is somebody that's like really on top of Western Everglades Restoration Project, which is one component of all these things that fold into Everglades. And so it's really easy for us to get behind an idea like send it south or slow the flow or stop the spraying or, or whatever these little easy hashtags are. And honestly, there's so much nuance and so much complexity to the problems without introducing the idea of natural disasters, which – I don't know if you guys know this, but we get hurricanes periodically, like every year it feels like. And those mess up our lakes. They mess up uh, all sorts of things. Like they, they can change in a lake system. A hurricane can blow across it and create what's called a uh, creek turbidity, which will actually stir up all the sediment on the bottom, block out sunlight, and you'll lose plant growth. You'll have plants die. Well, then it's easy for us to say, well, you sprayed all those plants and killed them. That's not really what happened. Like, like there's all these nuances and complexity and stuff to it. And, and I, I really am my concern because we preach a lot on our podcast about the North American model of conservation. And I struggle with the idea of if we form a mob and we overthrow the idea of spraying, what's to say the next thing we don't overthrow is the idea of hunting. What's to say the next thing we don't overthrow is the idea of, uh, uh, I, I don't know, public access to, to, wildlife management areas there's just so much people are making checker moves in a chess game and because it's so magnified because of the nature of our state because there's so many people here there's so much contention for resources and the resources are more valuable as other things it's just a a mess frankly and i I hate to paint it in a negative term because i love it It's, it's my favorite place in the world like when I go on vacation, I don't want to go somewhere else. I want to stay in Florida. But the uh, that, that's kind of where we're at. So we, we have water quality issues all up and down the state. It's not just the Everglades. It's the St. John's River, which I don't know how many rivers in North America flow north, but the St. John's River flows north and is a pretty prominent watershed. Um, we, we've got uh, Nestle wanting to bottle water out of the springs up in the, in the Suwannee River Water Management District um, and the state essentially sells that water for the cost of a license. It's like 250 bucks. They can bottle all the water they want every year. So it's just all these, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I am saying though, that we have all these little threads you could tug on and just go way down a rabbit hole on them. And I'm really trying to push hard on, we need to lean into science to manage these resources. We really need to, we, I hate to say trust government, but we've got to trust these folks that have gone to school and taking low-paying jobs to commit their lives to protecting these resources and studying these resources. I haven't met anybody at DEP. I haven't met anybody at FWC or the water management districts that wants to destroy the thing they're in charge of caring for. 
And that to me is our biggest struggle as a state is the mobs getting caught up and saying, we just want to overthrow this. We want to overthrow that. That's not right. That's not right. And social media just feeds that fuel. If you want to talk fun stuff, we can talk about pythons. Pythons are... Pythons and iguanas. <laughs> you guys have a lot of invasives, whether they're uh, to be managed, like kind of like predators, or even right. fish, like Mayan cichlids. So talk about that kind of uh, biodiversity that you guys have and why, the, why those have to be managed. It's the craziest state in America because of that. <laughs> um, I... The county I live in is fighting tegus, which is this big lizard that will eat dogs and stuff. I mean, it, it, it looks almost like a Nile monitor or something. I mean, it's gigantic. Um, and they're they're hoping they don't get a foothold. There's a – what is the real big – capybaras. Mm-hmm. There's, there's believed to be a population that may be breeding of capybaras further north in the state than where I'm at. Um, there's iguanas. There are uh, – which, which you can hunt – so that, that's kind of become a funny thing is someone created a Florida iguana hunters page. Shout out to my buddy Alex who did that. And I, I worry sometimes though that we're going to build an economy around that. Like we're going to build a, a thing to where we want to manage the iguanas, not eradicate them. Mm-hmm. But uh, what's really happened is we've had several mild winters in a row. And as we've had those mild winters, you've seen those those really uh, tropical animals get stronger footholds. Same thing, same kind of thing happens with the uh, the python. So the more mild winters, the the they they don't get pushed back or cut back. It's almost like a weed, right? Like in my, in my yard, I've had to mow my yard all winter this year, every two or three weeks. There are a lot of winters where I don't have to mow it from November to February, because you'll get just enough frost and stuff to keep it back. It's the same way on a lot of these tropical species. But you know, everyone wants to talk about pythons because they're sexy and they are a real problem. Um, I think if you if you started to look into like the idea of predator pits, which no one down here wants to talk about, because then you get into charismatic megafauna like bears and panthers. But if you get into the if you start to look into like the idea of predator pits, when you talk about an area like Big Cypress, which is down in the Everglades, between pythons, alligators, panthers, and bears, I, this is Travis's opinion, but I, th- I think there's some data that supports this. It's not scientifically proven, but I, 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 I this is my, kind of my hypothesis. I think we've created a predator pit there where the deer population will never come back because we we put protections in place for the panthers and bears, and, and rightfully so. But then we've also got pythons, we've got gators, like like the predation on fawns when they drop is such a, a strong thing that we're no longer seeing deer harvest numbers come out of that area like we used to traditionally. And people, you know, we have invasives people don't even talk about, Gabby. Like like our uh, – growing up, we had green tree frogs at our front door. You'd leave the light on at night. And these little, do you guys have frogs like that? I am not sure. You guys are more subtropical than we are up here in Virginia. So, <laughs> but so we don't have you, frogs okay, in so the like when you, yeah. when you When you leave your light on on your house, like to come home at night, the frogs would always gather around our lights. And they used to be these little native green tree frogs. And in my lifetime, it feels like, because I, I don't remember Cuban tree frogs existing when I was a kid. But over time, now all you see are Cuban tree frogs, which are a much bigger. They're probably four or five inches long. And they actually eat those little native green tree frogs. Hmm. And, and that's not a sexy topic to talk about, but it's a thing that's materially changing some of the landscape of our state. And it's just a little example. Uh, and invasives love 
Florida. They love it. We've got um, invasive apple, island apple snails that actually our snail kites, our endangered snail kites, will eat those. Um, but they can they can destroy a a, a set of a, 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 like a a patch of Kissimmee grass, which is a really good fishing grass that we have down here. Snails can get in there and destroy that in like days. I've seen the data. I've seen the science. I've seen the studies on that. They can just clean it out in days, and it's a snail. I mean, Crazy. come on. So, so yeah, it, part of it is just where we're at geographically. I, I, I don't know that I've thought this statement out very well, but I really wish we just shut down uh, exotics. Like, if you have a <laughs> pi, if you have a python as a pet in Washington D.C. and it gets out, it's not going to live. If you have a python as a pet in Florida and it gets out. And it's going to multiply like crazy. <laughs> right. And so what are the other places that are issues like that? I don't know. I like snakes a lot. Like I'm fascinated by snakes and I, my daughter always wanted a boa growing up. And, but it just gives me pause. Like we're, we're in death by a thousand cuts down here. So how do we, how do we prevent that moving forward? I don't know the answer to that. I'm, I'm struggling with that right now. Yeah, and quickly, uh, what is the status of the black bear management plan that you guys were deliberating? And then uh, the panther, everyone talks about the Florida panther. Is that still uh, imperiled? I know it's it's threatened or endangered, uh, but is there any effort to help bring that back as well? So the black bear management plan was accepted with hunting as a management tool. That doesn't mean we have a bear hunt coming. It just means... I forget because I haven't looked at it lately. There, I think there were seven tools for managing bear populations, or, or and uh, hunting was one of those. Our commission there was a there was a little bit of a little bit of a turf war down here, where the anti bear hunting community was saying you can't have bear hunts in Florida. They're cute, they're cuddly. Florida is the only state with a population of over a thousand black bears that doesn't have hunting for bears. So we have we have I think six or seven bear management units like like areas where we keep track of the population and three of those are in very sustainable numbers with with uh, to be hunted. So I'm okay with us being cautious about it. I'm not okay with us saying we're not going to do it because we don't want to shoot bears. Like that's not a good reason to me. Which is why I say we got to lean into science. Um, panthers are a much trickier topic to talk about in Florida. Um, they are they are the conservation quote unquote lightning they're the third rail it's like it's like talking about social security and politics if you talk about panthers and conservation in florida outside of we got to save the panthers it becomes a really dicey situation um, again i'd refer to elfenbine on that he is he probably knows more about the panther population and what's really going on with them than anyone alive i'll say this Based just off what I've seen, what I've read, what I've heard, I feel like we have more panthers than we've ever had. I feel like Florida panther is no longer a genetic subspecies. So I, I, I don't have any doubts about that. As I understand it, essentially our panthers are the same as a Western cougar. So with that said, we have these protections in place because we have a subpopulation, not a subspecies. Mm-hmm. And then I struggle with that. Like, like what is the sustainability of an animal that requires, forgive me if I'm wrong on this, 200 square miles of, of real estate for one male? Like geographically, how are we going to spread them out when we're developing every other block? 
And, and we're doing a lot of work in the state and it's good work, like wildlife corridors. Uh, the Florida Conservation of Florida has done a lot of work with that, uh, where, they're, where they're doing the, the Florida wildlife corridor kind of up and down the state. And they're trying to acquire land and put it to conservation easements so that these animals have places to, to traverse up and down and, and kind of cross over so we don't have isolated populations. But um, the, the panthers, the panther is a good tool in the conservation conversation sometimes for fundraising and for uh, using as a bully stick. But I don't know enough about it to be able to say there are too many, there aren't enough. Like I, I just, I, I struggle with, as a reasonable guy looking at the situation, I'm like, I don't know how the panther makes a comeback in this state with what's going on here. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know too much. They do look like mountain lions from out west, but maybe their coat looks a little shiny. I know that may be naive and unscientific for me to say, but I saw one at a wildlife refuge just outside of Weston, Fort Lauderdale. And it looked a little different, but kind of similar to the cougar or mountain lion from out west, which I grew up with. We had a lot of them in the area. They used to go onto golf courses and attack people in the wilderness park uh, near where I used to live. Uh, But yeah, they kind of look similar, but I, I liked your explanation how they're kind of like a subspecies, but not something completely out of the genetic. Um, so they're now a subpopulation. Yeah, subpopulation. No sub, sorry, they're yes. no longer a subspecies. Yeah, a subpopulation. So, so back in the back in the eighties, they believed they genetically had DNA differences, and I don't know enough about it to say whether that was true or not. I know that today they say they are the same cat. Yeah, that's and a, I say they. The yeah, that's yeah. Scientists also say. I mean, there there wasn't. Or there used to be the same with the eastern elk, and now um, everything is basically Rocky Mountain elk. Uh, even as we reintroduce that here in Virginia, um, they're not the eastern subpopulation. Right uh, now, they're just a subsidiary of the uh, Rocky Mountain elk <laughs> that right. have been, that have just been kind of exported all over the United States. But something that we've talked about uh, when we recorded your podcast episode recently, and also just offline, you and I uh, often talk. Uh, about what's happening, kind of keep each other up to speed about absolutely different things. But something we have bonded over is the importance that we stress about nuance in conservation issues and kind of just this brewing battle between, I, I think you, you characterize it as West versus East and the Southeast. Um, although I have seen people out East kind of adopt similar positions to out West. So not everyone out West believes kind of in the Western conservation, uh, let's say, uh, positions as as they're uh, portrayed to be but why is nuance so important in terms of not dividing conservation and by extension hunting uh, further and then uh, just talk about that dynamic and why it kind of concerns you that a lot of people are bickering over really non-essential issues or not non-essential issues i have to say but things that are really minuscule in the grand scheme of things people don't really think big picture they kind of fight over small minute details rather than focus on the greater battle so i'll give you, you about those two yeah i'll give you the hottest topic right now in florida is spring aquatic plant management and so travis being dumb um used to go to these meetings and i would yell at fwc our agency that does the spring they, they hired out, they contracted out, but they, they do a lot of the spring and they oversee it. And I would say, you're killing our lakes with spring. And that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to go to these meetings and I wanted them to hear me say they were killing my lakes. And I wanted them to hear me, you know, get on my soapbox and rant and rave at them. And it somehow in my head, I thought at some point they're going to hear me yell 
I didn't really yell, but I talked firmly. But there, at some point, they're going to hear me yell, and they're going to change what they're doing because I say something that triggers them. And over time, I thought I, I kind of got convicted about that just personally and thought, hey, am I being fair about this? Like I, these people seem really genuine about what they're doing. They seem uh, to care a great deal about the lakes. They seem to know the lakes. They seem to understand, you know, they have waterfowl biologists and they have fisheries biologists and they have invasive plant manage- managers, like biologists that study invasive plants. And and I, I sat down with them and began to talk and I talked to professors at the University of Florida and I talked to folks from the chemical companies and I talked to uh, the guys that do the spraying because why would you not want to talk to everyone in that conversation? And over time, I, I began to come to, to grips with the idea that maybe this problem's a lot harder than just you're spraying a lake and it's killing the lake. Um, you know, we've got all this development, so we get we get nutrient runoff. We still have a lot of septic tanks in, in, in a particular watershed. I'm talking about the South Florida Water Management District, the Kissimmee Chain of Lakes. Uh, there's still, I think, 60,000 septic tanks in that, in that basin. So the nutrients from that waste because Florida is a car system and we have some surface lateral flip, the nutrients are still in that watershed and, and end up going downstream. Um, you, you mentioned water quality earlier in this conversation. The year after Hurricane Irma, coming into Lake Okeechobee, we had 1,048 metric tons of phosphorus come into the lake. The goal from DEP is 105. So we were at 10 times that limit. But all we ever talk about is we need to build a reservoir south of the lake. Well, I look at that data and I say, why aren't we doing something north of the lake? So, but, but you can't ask any questions anymore because if you ask questions, you're against the other people. And that's, that's what's really bothered me. And that's why I struggle so much with um, kind of where we're at in the idea of, of conservation and, and, and is, is no one wants to dig into the nuance. We all want to hang up on the easy binary. You're either with me or against me. Mm-hmm. You're either you either slam this hashtag down on your T-shirt and, and, and go forward with it or you're against me. And and honestly, there are no if we stop spraying tomorrow, we'd have a whole litany of problems in the state that people don't want to talk about because they just want to beat spraying. And within all that context. FWC has 17 million dollars to, to treat the entire state, 20 million dollars to treat the entire entire state with invasive plants. It's like a drop in the bucket. Like they're they are tilting at windmills. They can't ever win that battle because there's not enough money there. But yet we go and yell at the biologist that's in charge of this lake versus talking to our legislature saying, why aren't you giving more money to these people to fight this problem? And it's just that's why I struggle. So and I think you said it right. We, we focus. I call it target fixation. And I remember watching an episode of West Wing along like a million years ago. And this is all I remember from it is. They talked about this fire pilot that he got so fixated on the on the target that he would fly into the side of a mountain. And that's that's what I feel like we do sometimes in the in conservation is we get so fixated on winning, on beating the other side, on whatever, that we don't listen. We don't look at the big picture and we don't do a good job of having these conversations that are kind of tough and uncomfortable. Like mm-hmm. a second ago, we were talking about Panthers. I'm very uncomfortable talking about Panthers because I grew up, man, I always wanted to see a Panther. I always want to see a Panther in a while. Like it's special to see that. As you learn, as you become informed, you, you start to get out of your comfort zone a little bit on that. And people don't like to be out of their comfort zone. And I've kind of taken the position of, OK, I'm just going to live out of my comfort zone and have to be OK with that. So I, I think you alluded to it a minute ago. There's a struggle because 
there's organizations that you see doing conservation and doing great conservation work. Like I think they're doing really good conservation work and they do it and they talk about BLM lands or they talk about, you know, national forests or they talk about these big Western areas out there. And, and I jokingly say, and it's kind of tongue in cheek. It's not all joke. Come to Florida and play at ground zero brother, because we don't have that. Like we love when our state has control of lands. We love when our state, like, because we can we can influence that differently than we can a federal thing. Because we kind of get when you get to a federal level and you start talking about land management, it's way easier to manage. I don't even know a, a six hundred thousand acre piece of BLM land than it is a five thousand acre WMA if that were to ever go under federal control. Like that, no one cares about the five thousand acres. They care about the six hundred thousand acres. And so, I mean, it's just. People got to get past the the simplistic idea. I say it all the time. Me is smart. We is dumb. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really true. I've, I've never had a conversation with a stupid person, but I've had a lot of conversations with dumb moms. And and there's that's I, I'll stand by that statement. It's just a, it's a trueness in public speaking in any world. That's why when you go up and speak to a crowd, the dad joke always works because mm-hmm. the crowd is going to laugh at the stupid dad pun, but they're not going to. Like when you get your buddy off to the side and you make the same joke, he's not going to laugh at it. He's going to call you an idiot. So, so there's like a, there's a tension there. And I, I, I hope that we're, the efforts I'm making right now are aimed at trying to ease that tension and make better conversations. Uh, hopefully give people, I call it a better informed constituency. Like I, I'm a pie in the sky guy. I really think people aren't stupid. And if they would, they would take a time to to learn and to really educate themselves on the nuance and become informed. I don't mind if they disagree with me. I just want them to be informed about both sides of this discussion and not just spraying panthers, bears, sandhill cranes, public access, water management, discharges, the whole nine yards. Like the gamut of it is it's a lot, a lot of complexity and a lot of stuff in Florida. And no one can be an expert on all of it. Yeah. I think too many people take on, burdens that they don't need to and they like you say they have a binary kind of view that you have to win or you have to defeat your enemy and there's no losing no nuance no sitting down and it's not so much your traditional way like because you know working in politics i certainly hope certain people succeed over others but in conservation it's a little different because it's a multifarious structure which requires different opinions different people to come together people from different backgrounds and perspectives and just to to have i see a lot of people that are very antagonistic like i I told you i received a comment on social media recently someone telling me because of my political affiliation i'm like supporting traders and i'm like huh i'm like what what supporting traders i'm like do you do you even read what people put out like you don't have to and i told this this guy i said you don't even have you don't have to agree with anything let's say the trump administration does or what republicans do you at least need to read and know what they're putting out there not just blanket statement except that we're backwards or have our feet in our mouths or something like that and i just wish people would read like read what press releases are put out there like i read things i don't agree with on especially in conservation and politics but i just see too many people that are antagonistic they're not willing to sit down and when they go let's say to congress again they bring those antagonistic tactics with them and nothing really is accomplished i i could not agree more i, I could not agree more yeah, and it's like, just I hope I hope people do actually learn the political process and that it requires 
kind of a peace of mind. It requires being a little nicer, not being a keyboard warrior. And like you had said, not simply thinking a hashtag is going to solve all problems about conservation issues, access, public lands management, things of that sort. So, right. yeah, that, yeah, I just wish people, yeah, would kind of get off the Internet <laughs> and go to the real world and, and meet with people and, and get outside their echo chamber. I try my best to do that, too, when I can. And I hope others uh, in kind of that framework of the West versus East or uh, backcountry versus not backcountry kind of learn to do that a little better. Right. 100% agree. 100% agree. Do you have any other issues that are kind of on your radar or things you wanted to get across to our listeners? Uh, no, I, I, I do know the, in your notes you, you wanted to ask about Florida Man. Oh, yeah. asking about Florida Man? Sure, sure why not? <laughs> I, so I can laugh at Florida Man just as much as anybody else. But I'm going to say this. My take on Florida Man is they're never from freaking Florida. The, the headline, yeah. If you if you go read the headline, like okay, go Google your, <laughs> you, you know the joke, right? You go Google yeah. your birthday and Florida man, and then you you read whatever the headline is, and it's something insane like Florida man petitions judge to marry alligator or something. If you go read the article that's attached to that, it's gonna say, it's gonna say Mr. Timothy Smith, uh, who recently relocated to West Palm Beach from Southern Ohio, from Northern New Jersey, from. Kentucky, like they're never from here. They just want to live here because we don't have freaking income tax and we have beaches. <laughs> it's crazy town, y'all. So quit, quit blaming Florida people for Florida man. But I'm okay with the Florida man thing. But it's never a guy from Florida, unless it's alligator related. Then it's almost always a guy from Florida <laughs> because That's we have some cool. kind of weird affinity for alligators. I mean, I don't know if Louisiana has a greater affinity because I think they have the largest alligator farms in the country to supplement uh the game commission there but maybe you guys it would be interesting to see who has a greater affinity for alligators you or or louisiana Uh, but everyone has to understand that the reason why florida man or florida woman is a thing is because of how transparent police records are in florida right that's why that's why we always hear the story and i have no doubt there's a similar transparency principle that is applied to public records about criminals and, and people arrested in other states too but florida is just kind of a running joke but people should oh, be aware of that yeah it's 100% crazy town <laughs> and, and let me just say this like i'm at i'm at the point now where i'm like we could lop some of it off and i'd be okay with it because it's just like it, it doesn't even if you go to the southeast coast of florida we talked about water quality a minute ago we have 21 million people in the state, roughly 20, 20 and a half. We've got 9 million of those below Lake Okeechobee and east of Lake Okeechobee, so southeast of Okeechobee. Like, we've just crammed them all down there. And, dude, that's like a recipe for disaster, and none of them are from there. Like, very, very – I mean, (laughs) back in the 70s, I think the population of Florida was 1.5 million, 2 million, something like that. It was really low. So all those people have migrated there in the last, you know – 40 years, 50 years, and, and and on top of that, or were born there, but I, I don't think there was that much reproduction going on. So it's just crazy town, y'all. It's just crazy. So don't hold it against me, okay, when you hear Florida, man. I'd appreciate that. But I think people should still visit Florida despite the, the hangup about Florida, man, because it really is a beautiful state. Like I told you before, like I love going down to fish there. It's kind of my refuge When I ever need warmer weather, uh, being a California girl, it's kind of similar, but very different to California. But it reminds me of California in a way where it's a relaxation state. 
it's close. It's not too far away. People are very nice. The food is terrific. And you can enjoy some quality fishing and fun in the sun in like December when you never think you could actually enjoy warm weather. But it, it's a great state. People should get over that little hang up about Florida man and go visit. Here's and what I'd like to say. Here's what I'd like yeah, to say because I don't. I, I've I've gotten in trouble before because I said the day Disney was born was like the day our state changed forever. Like we, oh. we lost it that day. But I'm not anti Disney. I think Disney's a cool thing. I think it's a it's a really neat place. Like I'm not a theme park guy, but I have nothing against that. My daughter loved Harry Potter. We went to Universal Studios and saw Harry Potter World. I, I know that a lot of people that listen to this will probably come to Florida at some point. <laughs> do me do me a favor. Carve out a day. And, and you can message me. You could, I can connect you with any number of people and go see something wild in Florida because it's a yes. unique place. Like it's a really special place. And you could go fishing. You could go hunting. You could go just boat riding. There's airboat tours. Like there's there's all this stuff you can do to see some stuff that you you wouldn't see anywhere else in the world. And maybe you don't care about seeing a snail kite. Maybe you don't care about seeing an alligator. Maybe you don't care about some of this stuff. But it's really such a unique uh, ecosystem that is um, I, I love it more than anything except my family and dogs. <laughs> like, like I, I, Florida is she's just she's near and dear to my heart and I, I I love her to death. So I just ask if people come down here to take a minute, take a beat away from the hustle and bustle of Disney and Legoland and Universal and Busch Gardens and go see some of what's outside Florida, like the wild Florida. So and I I'd, I'd appreciate that if y'all do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think every time I hear someone go to Florida, it's always usually Disney or Universal. And I'm like, guys, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to see really unique biodiversity, ecology, and just the wild things that kind of roam around Florida. And I've driven through like old historic Florida and I've been to St. Augustine. There's a lot of cool history in Florida. It's one of the oldest places in this country. It has one of of the oldest cities. Yeah. Yeah, St. Augustine obviously is the oldest European city in the United States, which sounds funny, but that's that is true. Uh, the Europeans did set Spanish did settle in Florida quite early, <laughs> and then eventually made their way, you know, to California and Texas and the Southwest, obviously. But yeah, it's it's a beautiful state, and I f- fully agree with what you said. Why don't you give a plug, Travis, of your businesses? Because I would love people to book you for uh, duck charters, waterfall charters, and any fishing charters, and to connect with you guys for your podcast. So list any affiliation, links, social media channels where people should connect with you. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm at Travis Thompson. Uh, don't confuse me. If, if it looks like I'm a rapper, that's not me. Because there is a, <laughs> I guess there's a famous rapper named Travis Thompson, and and he and I actually, I actually traded Twitter and Instagram handles years oh, that's ago. Funny. So we both had the same. So I had at Travis Thompson. He, I think he's Travis X Thompson now, but um, make sure it's me, Travis Thompson. Um, and you can message me anywhere on that. And then uh, at Cast and Blast FL, I do most of the social on that as well. So my podcast is Cast and Blast Florida. Uh, you, you can type it out, search for it in iTunes, Spotify. As soon as you get done listening to Gabby's, you can listen to mine every week. How about that? Is that a good deal? Listen to Gabby's first and then mine. Um, and then we do uh, Cast of Blast Conversations will be is on that same feed. So we just do two shows a week. We just label them differently. One is Cast of Blast Florida, which is the episode number, and then the other is labeled Conservations in the episode number. So um, I'm pretty easy to find. I love talking about this stuff. If y'all have any questions or I can 
I can point you in the right direction or, or you want to talk further about any of it. I love having conversations about Florida. So, and Gabby, thank you so much for what you're doing. Like, Oh, you're too sweet. Yes. And you guys too. I, like I said, I love listening to your podcast as often as I can, just because it's something different than every other conservation podcast that talks about like this type of bow to use or this gun to right. use or, or like uh, just ways that people kind of talk about meat. But I think um, – and, and it's good to talk about technical stuff, but I like listening to what's happening elsewhere in regions that don't get a lot of coverage. And I appreciate what you guys are doing in Florida and making it interesting. Thank you so much, Gabby. I appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming. I think this is uh, – people are going to like this conversation a lot and hopefully be convinced to come visit Florida and, and give them their tourist dollars, especially with you guys still recovering from red tide and just the other little – the other uh, issues down there. So thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about Cast and Blast and, and Florida in general. Thanks, Gabby. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Travis Thompson. He is a character, but he is so much fun to speak with. I've met him a couple of times and I hope when I'm down in Florida next, I actually get to go cast a line with him or maybe go duck hunting with him. But Travis is a great person to follow. Follow him on social media as he listed his accounts. You won't regret it. And listen to Cast and Blast. It's a lot of fun. Even if you're not a Floridian, you will love the camaraderie that the co-hosts, his wife Emily and their friend Nathan have between the three of them. It's really fun. A great dynamic. Make sure you're following District of Conservation on your preferred podcasting platform. We're available on about 11 or 12, including iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts, which is our preferred podcast portal you listen through because that way the more downloads and reviews we get the more we can climb the wilderness charts so make sure you subscribe and leave us a review over there that'd be greatly appreciated you can also find us on facebook instagram and twitter to never miss guest announcements or previews of upcoming episodes and topics on monday we're going to be having an episode with perks hannah downey you don't want to miss it we're going to talk about market solutions to environmental problems, conservation, and just what is going on in Montana. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen so you don't miss Hannah's very interesting interview. Have a good weekend, everyone.